This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. With his various business interests around the globe, the concerns about conflicts of interest for President-elect Donald Trump is front-page news with many media outlets. But divesting himself from all of those entities is a near impossibility. So then, is there a conflict of interest for Mr. Trump, or is he still in good standing? He believes that he is. To take a look at this story, we welcome in Philip Nichols, professor of uh, legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School. And a little bit later, we'll be joined by Richard Painter from the University of Minnesota. He'll be joining us in about 10 minutes. Phil, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. It's always good to see you, Dan. Thank you. So with all of these business elements in your mind, and obviously so many of them being outside of the United States, is there a conflict of interest? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think anyone can argue that there's not a conflict of interest. I think the argument that Donald Trump is making is that that conflict of interest doesn't matter. It doesn't influence him in his decision-making as president of the United States. Legally, though, he is saying that that he is fine. From a legal perspective, is he fine? Um, that's a difficult question. Right. Uh, the conflict of interest rules, uh, the, the legislation and the rules, accept the president. They don't apply to the president of the United States and to a few other very high-ranking uh, people, senators, uh, justices, etc. And that is to protect them and their daily decision-making from petty kind of tic-tac lawsuits or ticky-tack uh, prosecutions by opponents. So it's an exception that looks ugly, but it's an exception that actually makes sense in terms of running the government. This is obviously a very unusual situation when you're talking about the president of the United States, because we really haven't had a president that has entered office with so many business interests. Never. And I think it it's fair to say that to expect him to be able to divest himself of all of these interests and truly have no conflict of interest... Uh, it is almost an impossibility. I mean, you're talking about such a short time frame to uh, kind of get this process moving. Well, um, it's not uh, it's not undoable. Now, the you know, I, my guess is what he's. It's hard to guess what he's concerned with. He's right. <laughs> it's a bit inscrutable, but my guess is he's concerned with handing it off in the way that he wants to hand it off. Right. That he he wants it to be his way. It, 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 other there have been other elected officials who've had business interests. Right. Um, liquidating it would be possible. It wouldn't be to his advantage. Right. But it would be possible, and it would certainly be within the the norm of people in this country assuming an office like he's assuming. Putting it in a blind trust wouldn't work because right. there's no way it could be blind. Um, so he's really looking at liquidating. And uh, that can be done. It just can't be done to his advantage. Right, exactly. If, if Obviously, if other business entities know that he has to liquidate, sure. they are obviously not going to uh, be buying at a premium price. They're going to be getting as much lowball as, the, as they can potentially get. Absolutely. And he, he clearly has a desire to keep the control of this business. People call it empire. I think it's a little strong. This business organization within the the control of his children. Yeah. And that wouldn't be possible if he liquidated. So it's just 
it's he's got a choice to make, right? And he wants to make the choice that satisfies him. The other set of rules that's going to be very difficult for him to to get around is the emoluments clause. And uh, Professor Painter, who's joining us later, is one of the world's experts on the emolument clause. There aren't many experts because it's a very obscure clause, right? But we'll dig into it a little bit before Richard joins us here about what it is and and how it actually factors in here. So it's an ancient. The Dutch created it in the. Uh, 16th century, 17th century, to avoid their emissaries uh, being influenced by primarily the French and the British. Right. Um, and it's about bribery, really. Don't give big gifts that are hidden bribes. Okay. Uh, the, the definition of emolument, I mean, one of the reasons this is unlikely to get traction among the U.S. public is the word emolument. Yeah. No one even knows what that <laughs> means, really. I would, I would venture a guess that probably three-quarters of the United States has never heard the word before. Uh, absolutely, and it took me a while to learn how to pronounce it. <laughs> it. It's just an obscure clause and an obscure word. But it has to do with getting gifts or taking a salary or being tipped by foreign governments. Which is obviously a concern that a lot of people have right now, and, and to a degree, it's already at least visually playing itself out, uh, the meeting with the prime minister of Japan where <laughs> Mr. Trump m- met with him, but also his daughter was there. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and then obviously a lot of people have the concerns uh, about the new Trump hotel uh, in Washington, D.C. as well, which is right down the street from, from the White House. And foreign diplomats are already saying, we stay there because it ingratiates us with Donald Trump. Right. Well, you know, if there's any part of the the money that they give to that hotel in whatever form, you know, the rack rate, any any money that's over market price, that's a gift to Donald Trump. Right. And that would seem to violate the emolument clause. Uh so he's already I mean he's already in a position where it seems that from day one that will be happening, that, that the Constitution will be violated. One article that uh, I, I saw yesterday talked about the fact that this will be a true test of the American political system. Uh, and I say that, I find it interesting because, as you said, I'm sure we have had senators, representatives that have had these issues pop up when they are ready to take office, obviously not to this extent, that, that Donald Trump has had. Uh, but obviously, again, when you're talking about the president of the United States, everything is under a microscope. Yeah. Certainly Barack Obama saw that over the last eight years. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very tricky thing to try and navigate. It's, yeah, I study corruption primarily outside of the United States. And I feel like I'm in one of the countries that I study. Um, <laughs> it reminds me... So much of Venezuela, for example, where uh, when Chavez took power, um, he acted in ways that were fundamentally against the interest of most Venezuelans and certainly against the interest of Venezuelan businesses. Right. And yet uh, he, he was truly made of Teflon. No matter what he did... No matter how many rules he violated. But he also had the military element strength behind him as well, where he could basically make people vanish if he needed to. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I don't know if you I mean, that that is that's a little harder to do here in the United States. Not out of the realm, but a little harder. It, absolutely. It's a little harder to do here. 
Although, if you look at the foreign and international advisors that he's surrounding himself with, they tend to be people who favor torture, which is, you know, only a handful of nations in the world embrace. Right. They tend to be people who favor Guantanamo or other black boxes that we have very little knowledge about. Right. It, it, it also... I'm, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. Right, exactly. And, and in fact, the, the gentleman, I think that he's nominating uh, for um, uh, for one of his positions, uh, a general who's pretty well respected, has actually come out and said that, you know, he's actually not in favor of torture because of the fact that you get you don't get as much information right. from, from that type of tactic. Sure. And let's hope that that, that voice prevails yeah. in this... Otherwise, somewhat uh, more aggressive circle of advisors. Well, the interesting thing about this whole process from the international perspective, which I think falls right in your bailiwick, mm -hmm. is the fact that trade and trade deals have been such an important topic that Trump has focused on yes. during the run-up to this election. And yeah. now, obviously, many of the people that we are potentially talking about and already have talked about are people that would be involved in trade deals with the United States. That's absolutely correct. Uh, you know, a great example of that is the Filipino special envoy to the United States, um, Antonio. Yep. Uh, uh, the United States is going to be, it appears the United States is going to be renegotiating its relationship with the Philippines. Uh, Duterte, 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 has said several times... Duarte. Duarte, thank yeah. you. Um, we're going to be renegotiating our relationship. So it appears that's going to happen. The person charged with renegotiating that relationship with the United States, the special envoy, is also Donald Trump's primary business partner in several ventures in the Philippines. Yeah. And his family works on these ventures with the Trump children. So disentangling that is not just a matter of Donald Trump separating himself from – it's a matter of himself separating himself from his family. Uh, I, and, and the list goes on and on. This is obviously one of the, one of the areas of focus that the media will stay on uh, quite, uh, quite a bit in the next several months to come, uh, obviously. Uh, the interesting part about it is that you know, it's one piece to the overall process that, that – President-elect Trump has to deal with. And obviously a good portion of what he is also focusing on is just trying to focus on the economy and infrastructure and, and some of those deals. Now, the, the potential for conflict of interest would be there as huge. well with a variety of different elements. Yes, huge. Um, uh, if you look at the proposal they've got on the table right now, the tax credits rather than direct spending, Yeah. Um, the tax credits tend to favor existing business projects. Right. And particularly if the tax credits are handed over to the states, um, to the, you know, the, understandably, they might want to use those to buttress existing projects. Well, a number of those existing projects are either, you know, involve President-elect Trump's businesses now or would be of benefit to President Trump's businesses. Right. Whereas fixing the lead water pipes in Flint does none of those things. Absolutely, yeah. And so it's quite likely we will see uh, this infrastructure favoring directly or indirectly projects that benefit the Trump holdings.
We're talking with uh, Phil Nichols, uh, who is professor of legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Or if you cannot get to your phone, you're more than welcome to send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. What is... uh, and actually, now we have Richard Painter joining us on the line right now. Richard, welcome. Great to have you on the show. Hello, Richard. Hello. Hello, Richard. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Not really well. If you could turn your volume up a little more, it's going to help. Me. Okay, Richard. All right. Uh, Richard is professor of corporate law at the uh, University of Minnesota. Richard, we uh, Phil Nichols is here in the studio with me from uh, the Wharton School. We've been talking for the last few minutes about the, uh, the the potential concerns of of conflict of interest and seemingly how many there are. Uh, as you have seen this all kind of play out and continue to watch it, where are your greatest areas of uh, focus Hello? right now? Okay, he is having a problem with his phone. We'll uh, get back to him. Uh, can you hear us now, Richard? All right, we will try and get back to him. We're having a little problem. He's having a little problem hearing us right now. Uh, you focus a lot on the international areas. Yes. The, the Obviously, the Philippines uh, issue is, is really getting a lot of airplay right now. Uh, and... and I guess the fact that that Mr. Trump has 20 countries, which he has some sort of connection to, it really doesn't matter whether or not it's just a branding element where he has basically lent the Trump name to a project or whether he is actually involved. That that potential level of conflict of interest is there across the board. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Um, There's, there's, again... It cannot be argued that there's no conflict of interest. The only argument that he can possibly make is that he won't be influenced by that. Right. That conflict of interest is is inarguable. That that it is the largest. Uh, we've never had a president with this many conflicts of interest. What would the consequences potentially be? I mean, I guess we don't know at this point. Uh, what potentially the issues would be. I mean, obviously, there would probably be some call for impeachment uh, uh, of the president if if these types of, of business interests were actually played out. Uh, but as we've seen in the past, you know, just calling for impeachment doesn't necessarily mean that the president is going to be taken out of office. Yeah, I, I it's difficult to imagine uh, this particular Congress taking action against president And that Trump. too, yes. And this particular Congress is likely to be buttressed in the next two elections. So he's got a good six years before yeah. we can really look forward to aggressive <laughs> control of, you know, its conflicts. What, we, what we're going to have to rely on is his advisors, right. that, that they have some um, degree of awareness of the differences between benefiting the Trump business holdings and benefiting the United States of America or the world. Richard Painter uh, joins us again. Richard, are, are you there? Yes, I am. Great to have you, sir. So I, as I was asking you a second ago, what we obviously know that there are there are many potential areas of conflict of interest. Where are the ones that, that, that you are most uh, highly focused on right now? Well, uh, the most immediate concern for me is the emoluments clause of the Constitution, which would prohibit the president uh, from uh, receiving any gifts um, uh, from foreign governments, and that includes payments from foreign governments. Uh, 
uh, I look at the uh, situation involving the diplomats, the state, its hotels, bank loans for the Bank of China, which is controlled by the Chinese government, and the range of other situations where we need to make sure the president is not receiving payments from foreign governments in violation of the Constitution. Well, and, and we actually had mentioned that prior to uh, to you joining us. And my question is, is that uh, even though the potential gift may be, you know, uh, a, a leader staying at a Trump hotel here in, in the new hotel that he has in Washington, D.C., even though it's not a direct gift, it's still viewed as a gift, correct? Well, it could be a violation of the Monuments Clause uh, because there's services involved at the hotel. And uh, the uh, office holders in the United States uh, government are prohibited from receiving payments from foreign governments for services. Uh, but uh, there are a range of other transactions, too, we need to look at, including uh, the financial transactions with the Bank of China that can involve considerably more money. And they need to make absolutely sure that the president is not going to be in violation of the Monuments Clause on January 20. I'd be interested to know what potential uh, repercussions there could be if there was an issue down the road with President-elect Trump on something like this. Uh, because as we mentioned before, this is we're, we're really going into somewhat of uncharted territory here. We've obviously never had a president enter office with this many building, business holdings and this many potential conflicts of interest. Uh, we've probably had senators or representatives that have had some level of business interest when they entered office, but not obviously to this uh, to this level. What p- could potentially be the impact if a president uh, were found to be basically getting an advantage from his position as president of the United States with his business holdings? Well, I think there's serious political ramifications here. Uh, the, the Republicans in the House and the Senate are not going to be willing to carry his baggage for him with respect to personal business uh, conflicts of interest. Uh, they're the ones who will have to endure the 2018 elections and then the 2020 elections. And so I think you're going to get pushed back from the Republicans as well as the Democrats. It will make it very difficult for the White House to work with Congress on a wide range of issues. Difficult to get confirmation uh, for nominees from the Senate. And then in, in an extreme situation, this, together with other problems, could result in impeachment if the uh, president is not careful. Well, go ahead, Phil. I, 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 certainly you've spent a lot more time in Washington than I have, but I, I have trouble understanding why a Congress that has been steamrolled by Donald Trump in some ways and is eagerly jumping on his tailcoats in others uh, would countenance uh, an impeachment in the next during the first term, at least. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen here, but uh, we're in a honeymoon period. Every president gets a honeymoon. But uh, uh, as I say, I don't think Republicans are going to want to carry this baggage. Uh, And there are a lot of things short of impeachment that they can do to send a message to the White House uh, that uh, uh, there needs to be some focus here on uh, uh, conflicts of interest uh, and some of the other concerns that members of Congress of both parties have about uh, the incoming administration. Uh, This is unprecedented, the the lack of support for Donald Trump among members of his own party uh, before the election. Uh, And I think that's going to come back if they don't deal with these issues uh, quickly. 
Is there anything short of divesting himself from his companies that that would suffice in this situation? And obviously, we understand that that you know being able to do that it, it would probably be a lengthy process to begin with, and wouldn't obviously be a profitable one for Mr. Trump because other companies would know they would probably be able to get a cut rate price. Richard. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that question. I have a reception. What is the question? Well, uh, my question was, is that uh, short of selling off his companies, is there any level that that he could reach where there wouldn't be a concern of conflict of interest? You know, having his children running the businesses obviously is is not, a, you know, a, a, a total solution to this process. Um you know, trying to sell all those companies off would be a lengthy process. And then also he wouldn't be making obviously a profit on it. He would probably be taking a significant loss in terms of selling off these companies. Well, yes, uh, but he could do a public offering of some of these, put some of these uh, holdings in a company and then do a public offering. Many families do that uh, in order to diversify their position and sell off a family business to the public. We have broad, deep capital markets. United States, that it could help him with that. Uh, and uh, it does not work to just simply turn management of the business over to his children while he retains ownership. Uh, all of the conflicts of interest will remain with him as president. Uh, that's not going to work. And furthermore, the children are already involved in helping frame the future administration. They're involved in the government side here already. So the notion that they're just going to run the business while he runs the country, that that's not what's happening. Uh, and that's not a viable option anyway. And, and those conflicts of interest uh, potentially that are out there, it doesn't matter realistically whether or not he owns the company or he is just branding something, uh, loaning his name to an entity uh, so that it can it can be successful. The conflict of interest is there no matter what, what level we're talking about, correct? Well, yes, it is. And uh, we also have a situation where he puts his name on buildings all over the world, and people just send money in uh, to uh, the Trump organization for putting his name on a building. And uh, that's fine for a real estate developer. It's not fine for the president. We don't have Obama's power in London, Paris, or Nairobi. <laughs> and people just send checks to the president. Um, and uh, furthermore, who's going to protect all these buildings that— this is uh, is this going to be the United States taxpayer, or is it going to be the foreign government that has to do this, or is it going to be the cost of the Trump organization? And if they don't protect these buildings, we could have a tragedy in our hands. So I don't think I think he needs to get his name off buildings all over the you know world, particularly in the hot spots. Uh, if he's going to be president, it's, it's, he chose for this uh, this job, and and. He needs to make the adjustments uh, in his business life in order to take the job and do a good job. You mentioned China, and obviously China could be a potential big concern uh, going forward uh, with some of the issues that Mr. Trump has there already. And obviously China on the global uh, uh, economic scale uh, being such an important piece, and and especially with trade, the way Mr. Trump is, has talked about trade. Uh, is that maybe the, the, the largest area to focus on right now uh, for Mr. Mr. Trump. And obviously, we already mentioned about the issues that he's having with the Philippines uh, with some of the properties that he's involved with down there. Well, well, yes, we're going to have issues all over the world. As a major economic and military power, we have issues all over the world. And he needs to represent the interests of the United States 
in those uh, uh, in those discussions with other uh, countries, and some of those discussions may be quite difficult. He should not have to worry about protecting his own properties in those countries. Uh, I have asked uh, in this context where we would be today if President Franklin Roosevelt had owned uh, buildings in Berlin and Frankfurt in the 1930s and had a large <laughs> loan outstanding Deutsche Bank. Uh, what he did to try and prepare the United States for the entry into World War II. Um, and uh, we need a president who's going to stand up to foreign dictators and who's going to represent the interests of the American people, not himself. Uh, Dan, I would add to your list uh, somewhat, a country that's somewhat overlooked in our discussion, and that is India, where um, the Trump family is very involved with uh, Congress Party, with families and leaders in Congress Party. And although India uh, takes a somewhat quieter approach to um, uh, international trade agreements, international – India has been in the past and, and to some extent still a leader of the non-aligned nations who are very important in trade negotiations. Um, and of course the difficulties uh, in Kashmir and Punjabi uh, – um, Punjab um, – uh, make India uh, – the relationship between India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, other countries in that region, very populated um, and somewhat difficult countries, uh, an area where the United States could be involved in extremely delicate negotiations, right. negotiations that will be colored by the tension between Congress and BJP and other parties in India. How do you see this playing out, Richard? Well, I'm not sure how to play out. Okay, Richard, we're having a problem with your phone. I apologize. Uh, we're getting at, at close to the end of the segment anyway. Richard, thank you very much for joining us thank today. Gre greatly appreciate it. You got it. How do you see this playing out, Phil? Um, I can see, I mean, India, China has welcomed the, ironically, welcomed the Trump presidency because China feels that um, they will have a, a clearer path toward the uh, domination over the South China Sea, that the Trump presidency won't interfere in their claims uh, to the South China Sea. Right. Um, again, uh, a, a position the United States has taken to protect commerce, transportation, and access to resources in that part of the world. It would seem to be in the United States to continue that if President Trump or President-elect Trump is influenced by his business relationships with China, that could work to our detriment. Uh, India, um, again, a quiet but very active leader in the non-aligned nations trade negotiations. Yeah. He's trying to – or even if he's subconsciously influenced by his relationship with Congress party in that country, yeah. um, could work to the detriment of the United States in terms of trade agreements, international – Multinational trade agreements, um, Brazil, uh, the uh, um, some of the Trump properties down there are tangentially embroiled in, but the investigation is going on and on in the huge corruption scandal and crisis of government in Brazil. Brazil could have been one of the leading trade partners in the United States. Yeah, uh, it it. It's hard to make predictions, but there's a lot of lot of things that could go wrong here for us. Great to have you here in the studio. Thank you, Phil.
Thank, Thank you, Dan. It's always you, nice to be you here. You got it. Wharton's uh, Phil Nichols uh, joining us. Also, th- many thanks to Richard Painter from the University of Minnesota joining us for a few minutes early on. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.